Welcome back to The Dad Chronicle, where we share stories from dads all around the world. I'm your host, Alex Albisu. This is episode 99. On today's episode, I have two gentlemen here with me. Uh, we are going to con- uh, conduct a roundtable discussion like we do occasionally on some of these episodes. And this is somewhat of a somber topic, but I think that it's one that we have to bring up. It's, it's definitely relevant to me and my current situation and what Deanna and I recently experienced this year. It's about child loss. Um, with me is uh, somebody that you guys are familiar with from this show. It's Jeff Blau. Jeff, you want to say hi to the folks at home? Hey, everybody. And then somebody who uh, is a friend of mine that uh, that actually hasn't been on this show yet, um, but very happy to have him here to share his story. It's Sam on. Sam, you want to say hi to everybody at home? Hi, everybody at home. All right. Very good. So like I mentioned, uh, the topic is child loss. And uh, based on the gentleman here with me, uh, you guys could imagine at home that, you know, we've uh, we've the three of us have experienced this and this is something that we wanted to sit down and talk about, share how we cope with it. Um, This is somewhat of a taboo topic uh, for some reason um, that I still don't really quite understand. But we're going to bring it up because I think that the first step in making something less taboo is to certainly talk about it. Um, First and foremost, I think it's worth introducing Sam to the world here. So Sam, I'm going to bring you up to the microphone first. So Sam, why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself to the audience who may not know you? Hi, sure. Uh, my name is Sam. Uh, I am married uh, very happily to a wonderful, strong woman named Elaine. Um, we've been married since Elaine. We've been together for a while, so I've lost count. Um, but we've been married since 2015. Um and, you know, we we enjoyed the married life for a little bit and we decided that it was time to grow our family. So uh, in 2017, um, we started trying and I think it was after the second month of actively trying that uh, we found out that we were pregnant. Um, so this was our first pregnancy um, for both of us because it was also our first marriage and you know that uh we 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 did not decide to have children before that uh, either one of us so uh it was our first pregnancy and um it was a normal pregnancy um uh, we went to the doctor the ob uh everything was uh checking out like baby was healthy had a strong heartbeat was developing normally um and then around uh, week, I think, 16, uh, Elaine had a trip to Pittsburgh um, for work. And uh, it, it was uh, basically a day of volunteering um, at an event. And she was on her feet all day. And, you know, we were slightly concerned because, you know, fatigue and dehydration. But, you know, it was fine because we hadn't had really any uh, issues up until that point. Um so we got through the event. It was fine. The next morning, we were getting ready to pack up. And uh, as we we're getting ready, she goes to the bathroom and basically calls out to me, um, telling me that she thinks there's something wrong. Um, lo and behold, uh, what happened was um, our first baby, Francis, decided that uh, he had enough of being uh, in utero and uh, essentially his uh his uh, sack began to uh, come out. Um, So this was when he was at 16 weeks. Um, So we went to the hospital. 
Uh, at that point, there's nothing that really can be done. Uh, once it started coming out, there you can't put it back in, apparently. I asked, uh, can't you just flip her upside down and uh, have it go back in? And apparently that's not a thing. Um, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, yeah. that's just the... It's a uh, very Sam on thing to ask. So I had to check a little bit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, 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 it made sense in my head. Right. But I guess not. Um, so, yeah, uh, basically baby was coming out and uh, at about 16 weeks uh, after about, I mean, we didn't even go into labor. Um, they, she had to go uh, take all of the medicine that they wanted to want her to take to induce labor. And finally, um, Francis came out, um, he was still born because, uh, at that point he had lost, uh, all the fluid and he hadn't developed enough. So, um, he was born, um, he had a face, hands, feet, um, all of the important parts a boy should have, uh, but he was not alive. And, uh, that was our first baby Francis and our first loss, um, after we stayed about another three, four days uh, in the hospital in Pittsburgh, um, we came back down. Uh, we had a follow-up with her OB, um, with our OB, and uh, basically the diagnosis was that uh, Elaine had what was called, what is called an incompetent cervix. Um, that's basically saying that uh, the, the lower part of her uterus isn't physically capable of uh, supporting physically uh, a pregnancy. Um, other than that, you know, Francis had no issues. Genetic testing came back clear. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just a shock to us. Uh, no one had told us that this is a possibility of something that could happen, but it happened. Um, so, you know, we decided that you know, the doctor said we could start trying again in about two, three months. So uh, we started trying again um, in December. Uh, we found out that, we, again, we were pregnant pretty soon after. Um, and when the when the mom has a incompetent cervix, there are some uh, procedures that can be done um, to kind of cinch it up. And uh, so after about 12 weeks, uh, Elaine went in for the procedure. It was a outpatient procedure. Um, Pretty much, they just go in and stitch it up and make it hold, I guess. Um, so everything was proceeding normally. Doctor was optimistic that you know the cerclage uh, is what it's called would hold. Um, and we went back in at uh, the 16 week checkup because we were really nervous until week 16 for obvious reasons. And the doctor was a little concerned because it seemed like uh, the cervix was all, uh, still not holding. So they went in again to revise the cerclage. Um, so that continued to hold for about two, three weeks. And then about a week, uh, I'm, I'm getting the weeks messed up, but uh, week 20 or 21 or so, um, the doctor was really concerned. So... Uh, she was put on bed rest uh, at home. Uh, basically, she couldn't work. She couldn't commute. She couldn't stand for long periods of time. Um, so we had her all set up to be at home. So we lasted about two, three weeks uh, on home bed rest. And then we went in uh, for week 24. And apparently, the cerclage had totally given out. And the doctor checked her in that day. So week 24, um, we get checked into the hospital. Uh, Elaine stays in the hospital in the high-risk pregnancy ward at Innova Women's uh, Hospital. 
um, here in Fairfax. And we were fine for about 10 days. Um, the doctors kept saying, hey, if we just get her to 24, we'll be great. If we just get her to 26, we'll be great. If we just get her to 28, every two weeks was apparently uh, another milestone. So we were just living life, um, I mean, not even two weeks at a time, but really a day at a time. Um, and then one night, uh, the night that I decided to stay over, um, it was a Sunday night, um, her water broke. Uh, so they rushed us down to delivery, um, and they, uh, labor and delivery and nothing happened. Uh, the water broke, but no baby, no labor. So they sent her back upstairs. Um, the doctor said like, okay, you know, babies can survive at this point. If they have very little amniotic fluid, that's fine. They make their own fluid. Another thing that you learn, um, is that babies can live without amniotic fluid. Um, so, you know, the doctor's like, you know, it's, it's very, it's, it's okay. You know, people have lived here in the ward for weeks, you know, with, uh, with, uh, ruptured membranes, um, after having the water being broken and we're fine, you know, you'll be fine. There is like a slight chance of what's called a cord prolapse. And that's when the umbilical cord comes out and that's when it's an emergency, but you know, that never happens. Well, we get back up to the uh, high-risk pregnancy ward, and two days later, again, I stop in in the morning, and she goes to the bathroom and says, there's something happening. I freak out. Fortunately, there is an emergency cord, red cord that you pull off the wall, um, which basically springs everyone's action. The moment she pulls that cord off the wall, I see like 20 nurses and doctors come in and rush her out. Um take her down for emergency C-section and at about uh, nine o'clock AM on June 27th, our beautiful daughter Zoe was born. Um, she was born at 25, I believe 25 weeks and she was breathing on her own, um, which was really cool because they hardly ever come out breathing on their own. Um, so Elaine, they're stitching her up. They rush Zoe to the NICU um, I sign a bunch of papers and, uh, I, that's when we started our Nikki journey. Um, there were a couple of times where, you know, they were really concerned. Usually the first 72 hours, uh, is the touch and go period where they want to monitor the baby for the, for a brain bleed, which is uh, bad news. But fortunately we got through the first 72 hours. Um, she was feisty is what, uh, all of her nurses called her feisty, energetic, uh, spirited. Um, her eyes were open. She was aware, uh, she started to develop a personality. Uh, she had a habit of pulling out her, her tubes and her stickers and everything that was like stuck onto her. Um, she actually came out with a broken clavicle and they tried to, uh, restrain her, uh, a lot and she always riddled out because she was a feisty little girl um she started to have some uh, respiratory issues so they put her on a ventilator um and she was fine uh she started gaining weight she started growing um she started becoming more aware she started pooping a lot more uh it is amazing how much a preemie baby can poop you would be surprised and it smells so bad <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> but I got to change her diapers. We got to give her baths. Um, and it was it was good. It was stressful for a while, but you know, everyone was optimistic. All her doctors were saying she's doing great. She's optimistic. Like they were all optimistic. They thought um, that she was going to be one of the success cases. And uh, you know, it, it was just about you know we were we were about I think a week away from her being able to be out in the open air um, and getting clothes and everything um, because up to a certain point, you know, they have to be in the incubator because they can't regulate their own body temperature. But she was getting to the point where she was starting to able, be able to uh, regulate her body temperature. Um, so, uh, you know, I guess uh, it was the night of August the 12th. Um, we hung out with her uh, all day. Um, one of Lane's friends came into town. We had brunch with them. And then we went back to the hospital, hung out with her a little bit more. And we decided, you know, it looks like she's good. Uh, let's go home and get some rest. Um, so we went home, had dinner, um, went to bed. Uh, and then at about 4 a.m., uh, we got the call that um, no parent ever wants to get. Uh Basically, the doctor uh, called saying that uh, Zoe was having trouble breathing um, and that it's not looking good. So we rushed out, um, put everything on, put clothes on, and, you know, drove. I think I probably ran a red light or two. Um, fortunately, we live, like, really close to Fairfax Hospital. So um, we got there within probably about 10 minutes or so. Um and we rushed back there, and the scene that was unfolding in front of us was uh, one that I won't forget ever, probably. Um, it was just a mass of nurses and doctors just working on her, trying to save her life. Um, so it was about 15 minutes after we got there that a doctor came out and said that there's not much more that they could... Um, that they could do for her. She had started to, um, they were able to establish an airway, but, um, she was not, uh, her heart rate was not coming back. Um, so at about, I think, I don't know, I don't know what the actual time of death was, but, uh, probably around five o'clock on August the 13th was our second child. Um, who, who fought hard, um, but, uh, she just gave it all, gave it her all and it wasn't enough, but she went down with a fight, um, which we are still proud of to this day. So, uh, that was her second loss and we have decided that, uh, we're not going to try anymore cause we're not, we're not all the third time's a charm thing. <laughs> um, so, you know, right now we're just, uh, we're actually in the the process of uh, exploring adoption uh, for our, I guess, third child. Although Milton, our dog, would probably uh, can say that he's actually our uh, first child. So I guess our adopted kid would be our fourth kid. So, um, that's but yeah, right. that's that's the journey that I've been on for the last uh, three years. Yeah, and it has been a hell of a journey. Um, just being one to. Uh, to witness it and to speak with you about it um, and to uh, watch you and the tenacity that you've shown, that both you and Elaine have shown, um, 
it is inspiring. And I think that a big part of the healing process and a, and a big part of, uh, of, of this and let, letting people know what you've been through so that you spread that awareness that this happens, mm-hmm. it's extremely unfortunate. Extremely. Yeah, it's, it's the it's, worst thing it's you could ever hold. They, they really never tell you about it. Um, and we're actually, you know, we, we attend a lot of support groups and, uh, there are a lot of people and there are always new people coming in. Um, we all call it the club that you never want to be a part of, but we're all part of that club. Well, uh, I want to shift our focus over here, uh, before we kind of jump into some group discussion, but, uh, Jeff, uh, I'd like to shift to you for, for now. Um, last year on the show, you know, we were talking a bit about your journey um, you've been on this show talking about your journey as a stepfather, um, the journey through um, becoming pregnant, um, through in vitro fertilization, and uh, why, why don't you share a bit of the latest with the audience on kind of where you're at? Yeah. Um, so the last time I was on here was like the end of July, beginning of August of last year. Um, and, you know, we had happy news. We had, you know, we had gone through two previous uh, IUI um, attempts, which is basically uh, artificial insemination, but you know, instead of some random bank person's, you know, semen, it's, it's mine. Um, and so they, you know, wash it and make it all the good version of it. And there you go. And so that worked and, you know, we were all excited and you know, everybody was, you know, my family's super stoked and then we started to have uh, some issues with family, especially my mother was being very, uh, overzealous in her excitement for having a child. And that really was causing some issues for Holly. Um, as well as I was not really handling being a new coming dad very well. And that was very much, um, becoming, kind of head in the sand until we had a kind of a drag out argument. And that's when I really started to connect. And then the next week um, we went in for our 16 week ultrasound. Uh, We already knew the gender because when you're over 35, like Holly is, we, uh, you get, you know, the insurance will cover because you're considered to be a quote unquote geriatric pregnancy or high risk. So we got the NIPT done. So that's when we knew the gender, you know, six weeks or seven weeks. Maybe it was, it was relatively quickly after finding out we were, we were pregnant. So we knew we were having a girl. We'd already um, kind of started getting, buying stuff and getting ready. And uh, so we go in to our OBGYN because we can get the, you know, the gender ultrasound because we wanted to have pictures to share online and with our family and stuff. And, uh, when we, when they put the wand on and then we see that she's not moving and, you know, she's trying to tussle around a little bit. And so then they switch from an external ultrasound to an internal ultrasound to see maybe if it's just the, the position and, uh, you know, I'm not really understanding what's going on because I'm kind of an idiot. Uh, but I definitely saw on Holly's face, it was just terror and I knew this was not good. 
So they start doing that, and they're like, uh, we're not sure what's going on, but let me go get the doctor. And when that happened, Holly started freaking out, and she's like, she's not moving. She's like, we think there was some fluid around her heart. So the doctor came in. Doctor said, hey, um, we this is not the kind of talk that you know we like to have at all, but she's gone. Um, and there was, she wasn't moving. There was fluid around her heart. And so we had the choice of either doing a DNC, which would basically, you know, they go in and use the uh, tools to clear out everything that was in there where she could give birth, um, have labor and give birth to stillborn uh, to Harper. And, Neither of us wanted the previous because there's a lot of healing that has to be done after and the healing for after having labor is less intensive and we wanted to see her. Yeah. Um, so um, the next day we check in in the afternoon to the hospital here in Huntsville, Crestwood hospital. And you know, they, they were, the most supportive and amazing staff. They were, there's a wing of the hospital that's specifically for people that are going through those kind of events. So we were separated from the rest of the maternity ward so that we wouldn't really hear anything. There was only like one time where I heard like a baby crying. And uh, so they started the process of giving her the, the medication to try to induce and so that started about four or 5 PM that evening. Um, I stayed there overnight and they gave her an epidural about 12 or one in the morning. And still we were, it was, you know, she was dilated, but Harper wasn't coming yet. And, uh, Holly's parents were in the keys for their 40th wedding anniversary. And when they found out they were trying to get flights and, you know, we were worried they wouldn't be able to get there. And, uh, yeah, you know, Holly says, you know, we were sitting there and she says to Har- she said to Harper, you know, it's okay. You can let go. I'm like, it's okay to go. And not soon after that, I made some kind of, well, I make some kind of joke. Yeah. I made, I made a joke and she started laughing and, when I started, when I, when she started laughing, it kind of jostled her, made her abdomen move. And that's when things started. And, uh, uh, she started going into labor and, uh, she gave birth to, to Harper around what was it, two or three in the afternoon. And, uh, it, the, it takes it, it, she, the whole experience, cause they, they they didn't break her water. They they she gave birth to the entire amniotic sac, mm. and like the only thing I can describe it as it, it looked like a ostrich egg without any any shell. Like it was that about that size, mm. just a large like an egg without a shell. So I saw her inside of there, and doctor took her to a table, and then you know opened the sack up, and then we got to see her. Um, we got to hold her. We got to take pictures, and uh, we we reached out to a uh, a nonprofit organization called uh, Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, and they 
take professional photos of stillborn babies for parents mm. free of charge um, so that people can remember their their baby. Um, so they came late, late, well, <clears throat> first, um, you know, Holly's parents get there around five o'clock. They get to see her. Um, we spend time with her, get pictures and just, you know, we didn't want to, we did we just wanted to try to spend as much time as we could. And we knew it was in the last because, you, you know, when she came out, you know, it's, she had been in her amniotic sac. So she was, you know, you could see that, you know, she was almost like she started to, to lack of a better term. She started to, to like dry out. Yeah. Um, and like, it, and, and like as Sam said, cause the, you know, he's, he saw Francis at the same age, like face, hands, feet, all the, the parts that were there for a girl. Um, and like, it's like we saw there was one or two little strands of hair on her head. And from what it looked like, it was very light, like either blonde or, or red. And when you could see through the light, you could see through it. Cause her, her eyelids are just translucent. Mm-hmm. And we saw like, we, we think that her eyes were green from what we could tell from the way the light shined on it. You know, we're on hundred percent sure, but that's, you know, that's what we're going to go with. Yeah. And, um, you know, she, she, she had, she looked like me just unfortunately, you know, <laughs> uh, just, just, that was just a bad luck on her end. Um, but, uh, we, uh, we spent time with her. We got, she had to spend time with her grand grandparents. My parents are up in Virginia, so they mm. weren't able to come down in time. Uh, my dad couldn't travel and my stepmother was, I believe out of town and my mother's in Alaska. And at that point we're, like I said, things were kind of strained at that point. And, um, yeah. And I, and, so. and I, I know that this is, this is extremely, you know, uh, this is extremely traumatic. Uh, yeah. But I could imagine that there is some sense of healing, um, knowing that you were able to hold your child for, oh, yeah, whatever time that is. And this is kind of where I want to open up to, to conversation mm-hmm. here. Uh, mm-hmm. and Sam, I would love your input as well. Sure. Um, what does it, what does it feel like to have known that? Yeah. You know, you were still able to hold your child. Does that help at all with the healing process? Um, well, that's an interesting question. Um, I think with Francis, it was, uh, it was interesting. I guess it's it provided. I wouldn't say closure is the right word. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it kind of. I think the thing that we struggle with, Elaine and I struggle with every day, is um, trying to um, show the world that both Francis and Zoe were real and that they existed. Um, so. You know, for for me, as the first time being a father, I think holding my baby, um, who is uh, very handsome for obvious reasons. Um, Obviously, yes. <laughs> um, it, it kind of it made it more real 
Um, I don't know if there's, I don't think I can ever get closure um, in the, in the most common sense of that word, mm -hmm. but I think it helped, helped me kind of, it became less of an abstract and became like a reality. Um, so I think in that way, it kind of helped me process a little better um, who that Francis existed. Um, Zoe is a little different because um, I actually got, you know, as soon as she was cleared uh, and old enough, I was actually able to hold her as the nurses took care of her. So um, for me, it's, I, with Francis being able to hold him was, you know, it was a way for me to understand and know that he was real. But for Zoe, I think holding her makes me miss her even more. Um, mm. Cause I would do anything to hold her, uh, change another poopy diaper. Um, that comes out like toothpaste. It was really gross. Yeah, there was this one time yeah. I was changing her diaper and she pooped and it was like toothpaste. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I would, I would give anything uh, in the world to be able to do that again. Um, so I think I don't, it's an interesting question that you ask. So I don't know if I answered it, but that's my initial kind of thoughts on how I am responding to your question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. I don't think that there's a right answer. Right. So yeah. how about you? Jeff? I think that for me, it was different because I, we don't have a, we don't know why, like, and that we really struggle with that. Like we don't have a reason like in a, to, to compare, to contrast it, I should say, I guess, you know, there, there's a, there was a cause like Sam was talking about where he knew or they knew why there was an, or at least had it a cause, maybe not know that they didn't know why, but they had a cause or, something they could say, okay, we, we have a plan of action for this next time. Um, we don't know. We have, we have no idea. And that's been probably the hardest thing for us to struggle with. I, I for me, seeing her and holding her at first was incredibly difficult because for me, it's like a dad's supposed to protect his daughter and I couldn't. And it, it tore me apart. And I know that there's nothing I could have done. Like it, the doctor told us we did all the tests. Like we didn't take, we didn't have an autopsy. We didn't want to, we wanted to, to keep her remains as, as, as best we could. Uh, but we did have the, the, uh, the amniotic sac and everything tested and they couldn't find it. They did find some clots in the uh, fallopian. I mean, in the, not fallopian, Jesus, in the, uh, uh, in the placenta and they found blood, but they, they don't know if that's chicken or egg, if that was just because she had already passed or what. Um, I think it, <sighs> her having two other children made it a little bit easier to come home to them and, and yeah. cherish them, even though they're not biologically mine. Uh, I still love them and it made it easier. The hardest part of that whole experience was telling them. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it was, it was, it gave a sense of closure, but then it also it was like, just all, all questions, you yeah. know, yeah. I just don't, 
Like to this day, we don't know. And that that's tough, especially now what we're going through. And I'll get to that towards the end. What's what we're going through now. But um, I think if we hadn't seen her and we didn't have that time, I think it would have been much more difficult to move on. It's, it's, it's never going to be easy. It's always a scar on your heart and you always miss, like I got a tattoo, like I have a tattoo on my arm. Um, it has, it's princess Leia, a little, like little cartoonish with her sitting on a rebel Alliance symbol and it has H in it and says daddy's little princess. Cause like, I don't, I don't ever want to forget her. Like, I don't think I'd ever forget her, but it, it, to me, it, it, it's on my left arm. So it's close to my heart. And, uh, yeah, I got a little, a tattoo, a little unicorn and, you know, and, and then just the, the reaching out from, you know, you and, and Sam specific, like Sam immediately like reached out cause you know, I, I can't thank him enough for having to open up those wounds again and reaching out and being there and Sam, like, I, I thank you, Sam, you, you helped me as a father and new father get through this. And I don't, I don't know what I would have done without you. And I, I can't, there's nothing I can do to thank you enough. Like you are a class act and, I I'm lucky to have somebody like you in my life. Cause you, you really helped me. You really did. It's uh, yeah. I mean, you know, when it was interesting, the thing that I remember um, when we lost Francis is um, it's funny that my, my brain had the, the presence of mind to say this, but I remember saying to Elaine that, you know, this, this is going to, this is happening. There's nothing that we can do to stop it, but we're not going to let this um, define who we are. Um, We are going to define what it means to us. Uh, I'm totally butchering that because I'm pretty sure I said something different, but uh, (laughs) the, the, the bottom line is like, and even with Zoe, um, you know, Zoe was supposed to be our silver lining because Francis, we always said that Francis let us know that there was something that needed to be done. So, you know, when we lost Francis, we were, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, we were, we were more okay with it because we, we always kind of thought of Francis, you know, letting us know how we could save his siblings. Um, So when we lost Zoe, it almost felt like, Francis died, um, died in vain. Um, so I think the thing that Elaine and I have been trying to do since our, our two losses, um, we've been, we're both in like public relations and communications. So, uh, we live our lives on social media and we decided very, you know, very, uh, we, we had an intention to, um, really be open with people about this uh when it happened um because like you you know we're we were frustrated at how much of a taboo it is and how much is not talked about uh you would be surprised how many people 
reached out to us when we told people about Francis and announced it on social media that they're like, Hey, you know, we actually went through this too. Um, tons of people just coming out of the woodwork. And I'm like, it would have been nice if y'all let us know that this is actually a thing that could happen. <laughs> Same um, here, man. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Um, so it was really interesting. And, you know, Elaine and I have been very intentional about, you know, really sharing our story because we want people to know that they're not alone. Um, even after we lost uh, Zoe, like we had two, Elaine, one of her best friends, um, one of her best friend's co-workers, uh, their baby died at six weeks from SIDS. And one of my co-workers, uh, also their baby died at six weeks. And we were the first people that they asked, this just happened. What do we do? And, you know, because we had gone through this, I mean, this is a silver lining, right? Like we were able to tell them, these are the resources. This is what they're going to need. Um, you know, X, Y, and Z, this is how you talk to them. This is how you should approach it. Mm. And, you know, we, we're hoping that, you know, what we were able to share with our friends, you know, helped out, but you know, that's, that's what we've been really wanting to uh, be the intention is, is we want to be the people to to let them know that you know you're not alone in this and that this does happen. Yeah, and that's truly it, it becomes a catalyst for um, you know further positivity and uh, you know the support for those who experience it. And I want to return to something that that Jeff had mentioned um, earlier. You know that that tangibility, and both of you kind of talked about this that tangibility of being able to hold your kid. Um, you know, like I kind of think back to what Deanna and I experienced at the beginning of this year. And that's, I think the hardest thing, like just hearing you guys think about that, I had a bit of a profound moment where it was like, maybe that's part of my problem. And, and, you know, like I've, I can say that I've come to accept what happened earlier this year. Um, you know, I kind of talked about, and and if you listen to the show uh, a bit, folks at home, you've heard me say this, but like, you know, when uh, when you have the when you experience this miscarriage situation, there's these expectations of what is in the future, uh, and, and that was certainly there for for our child that we lost, um, but the child just passed, and and at that early in the game, you know, there's nothing to really like. It was just kind of clotting. It wasn't really, there wasn't anything really tangible to hold. Um, so I, I find it, there, there, there's definitely uh, some merit in what you're saying because when you're able to hold that child and there's some, some tangibility there, they're real. You don't, have to, you don't have to try to come up with some kind of explanation because I kind of feel like on the other end of it, it's like explaining to somebody, oh, no, no, like the baby was real. You know, it was a couple months on. Not that anybody's questioning it, but there's still that that in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, is you know, how real was it? No, it was very real. I, I just, but it's different. Like I'm able to hold Aria. I wasn't able to hold this one. So there's this very, uh, yeah. It was just that that was a bit of a profound moment. So I just wanted to share that. Um, now I, I want to actually switch back to kind of talking about how you're, you're, uh, handling it, you know, today, some of the, the future, um, you know, plans for, for both of you really, Sam, you hinted at it, Jeff, you hinted at it. 
Uh, Sam, I want to hear from you about adoption. Um, what ultimately drove you to say that you want to adopt? Was there um, a specific conversation that you and Elaine had? I can imagine that it's not an easy decision to stop trying and, and certainly the situations that you guys have been through, um, you know, uh, warrant some discussion around that. But I, I, I'm curious for the listeners at home to perhaps relate to what you and Elaine went through in this situation. Yeah, that's a, that really is an interesting question. Um, so I think it's, it's fair to kind of go back and, um, kind of share that, you know, independently, Elaine and I met, you know, before we started dating or even knew of each other's existence. I always, I personally always wanted to adopt, uh, at least one child um to if when i got married um and had kids i would always want to adopt one and um elaine also had that thought independently and you know when we got married and we were talking about like what would the what would our family look like we always wanted one naturally and um we always wanted to adopt uh at least one child because you know for us it's it's um you know, there are kids out there who need parents and we're parents with no children. Um, so it just seems logical that, uh, you know, they should match that up. Um, but yeah, it's interesting when we hear from people that it's, uh, that adoption is like an act of generosity. Um, you know, that may be so, but in all honesty, um, for us, it's, it's, it's the only option that we have. Uh, it's not out of the generosity of our hearts right now. Granted, like, you know, we, before we came into this situation, you know, it, it, I don't, I don't even think it, we, that was the approach that we took. Um, but it's interesting that, um, you know, that's kind of a lot of people's first reactions is that, Oh, it's so generous and that you want to adopt children. And, um, for us, it, it, it's not about that, and it never was about that. And on top of you know that never being part of the calculus for us, like even now, like it's even with everything that's happened, uh, it's especially not an act of generosity. It's it really is the only way that we can grow our family. Um, so that's how we came to the decision. We came to it independently. We always wanted to have it be part of the story of our family. Um, this is just not the way that we had planned for it to become part of our story. Um, so yeah. 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 And, um, yeah, that's, a, it's an interesting perspective to hear from folks who, you know, are like, you know, you see this, this is kind of your calling as a parent is to do this, um, and to take this route. So I, I think it's still that, uh, this journey up to this point, I have no doubt uh, between you and Elaine that you're going to be incredible parents. Um, just knowing the amount of love and 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 support that you provide others, and just kind of considering what what Jeff mentioned, like those are some really quality traits and in, in a parent. And and I want to shift to Jeff. Uh, you know, you mentioned kind of at the top. Uh, or, or actually, I'm sorry, just a little bit earlier that you would uh, that, that you guys have some updates kind of on where you're at in this process. Do you want to share the latest? Yeah, sure. Um, 
So we had to wait a few months uh, until we could try again. And we decided we were going to. And so in November-ish, we uh, we were just trying with medi- uh, timed intercourse and medication to regulate um, Holly's cycle um, so that we could, you know, try to conceive naturally. Um, we tried that in November and December and that didn't end up working out. Um, so then we went back to our endocrinologist that we, uh, that helped us, uh, conceive Harper. And we did one month of IUI again in January. And that unfortunately didn't work. We were very hopeful because, you know, we had, a, a, you know, Holly had a, a lot of follicles and um, we, you know, it, it, the, the, her numbers were looking good. We were very, very positive at that point. And that didn't work out last month. So we were trying to figure out because, you know, it, it's not a cheap endeavor by any stretch of the imagination. So. You know, we were trying to figure out ways to to pay for this. And, you, know, you know, FSA and finding just ways. And uh, luckily, our our endocrinologist, through the grace of of God or whatever you believe in, I'm not really religious, but um, she gave us last month and the the month pre, prior um, the medication. Which is the the um, Avadrel, which is, is, is Avadrel, yeah, yeah, which is like a thousand dollars a pop. So she gave us samples both January and February. So we go into February. Wow. Um, we had a the day before we had we had his drag out awful fight. I said some pretty heinous awful stuff. I think it's just because. Uh, this is a really tough thing to go through. Infertility is the worst. I think I talked about that in the first episode. I think I was or the, the second episode where yep. we were talking about getting through. It's just, it's taxing. The hormones are, are just incredibly mood swinging. And our endocrinologist, when we went there, you know, we were, we had had a fight. It was my, it was, the, it was my birthday. And, uh, you know, the doctor was like, you can't know what she, she was talking to Holly. Holly, you don't know what Jeff's going through. Jeff, you don't know what Holly's going through. And you had to remember that and realize that, you know, I see this all the time. People getting drag out big arguments and, but you love each other. And, you know, this, and then we did the test, you know, we checked for the follicles and she had six follicles and she's like, you know, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it now. By the way, you have too many follicles to do an IUI. Wow. We're, we're going to do an invo cell IVF. That's what you have to do. Or, you know, if you try to do t- intercourse, you're going to end up with higher order multiples. So we're both of me and Holly look at each other like we're we're gobsmacked. We, you know, we, the doctor kind of, we had this teary, you know, 
come together huggy moment, you know, brought us together. And then we're like, all right, I guess we're, guess we're doing this. Um, so she calls the, the, uh, the embryologist on the phone. seeing if she was going to be able to come the day that we would have to do the, the retrieval. Sure enough, she was going to be there. So they schedule us for two days later to do the egg retrieval and, and prescribed us the, the drugs that we need to get for that. And uh, we go home and we have, you know, we drive back in the car. Well, we go and stop and eat. Um, and, and, you know, we talk through stuff and we're like, hey, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I said some really just bummer stuff. And I think we both are just on edge and I'm sorry. It sucks because like the people that you take out your most awful stuff sometimes are the people you love the most. For me, I have a. I have this really bad Viking temper because my dad's like 50% Swede. So I, I, unfortunately I get the Viking anger sometimes. And I, I don't like, I, I don't, I don't get violent, but I get yelly and it's not good. And, uh, I'm ashamed of it. Like I'm super ashamed of the way that I, I treated my wife and it took my endocrinologist to really put things into perspective for me and realize that I was being an asshole yeah. for lack of a better word. Um, so three days later we go, we get, you know, we, we, they do the retrieval from the six follicles. We get four eggs. Um, you know, they do my collection, they take, and then they, you, we see the, and they put it on a screen. I think I put this on Facebook, the, where they, you know, they, we had our eggs and they fertilize them. The videos up there. If you want to see it for people, Mm. uh, that know me, um, um, it's on YouTube. I'll search for my name, Jeff Blau. It's Jeff with a G Blau. Like you're not going to know how to spell it. Um, <laughs> uh, B L O U G H. Um, if search there, if you want to watch it, it's a pretty cool experience being able to see, you know, the, the, the your eggs being my wife's eggs being fertilized with, with my sperm. It was the coolest thing I will, I have ever experienced. Yeah. Um, and so they take that, they take the, the fertilized eggs and they put it in this device called an invo cell. And so it's this gas permeable device that, that my wife actually puts inside of her and she incubates. So in, in traditional IVF, instead of that happening, the, you would collect a lot more eggs. You would like, you would retrieve like. 20 or 30 follicles and use and get all those eggs and figure out which ones were viable. And then you, you try to fertilize all of them and then they go into an incubator machine and they're monitored and stuff like that. Instead for this, this is what's called affordable IVF. So instead of it being like tens of thousands of dollars, it's just thousands of dollars. Sure. Um, and so, you it goes into the device and the device goes inside of my wife and it, it, she incubates it natu- naturally with her body temperature and and stuff and so that was five days and after five days she takes the device out they take the embryos out and they take and look and so out of the four we had two viable uh one was looked really great the other was a little bit behind but not f- much you could actually see like the cells moving inside of it and dividing it was the coolest oh, wow. thing I didn't get a video of that, unfortunately. Um, So we then transferred those, what, 
two and a half weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Sorry, she's right here. So no, I know. Um, I hear. <laughs> uh, um, about two and a half weeks ago, and uh, and then we found out Wednesday that uh, we're expecting. So this oh. is the big announcement ex- announcement to everybody. We didn't know if we were going to say anything, but um, we try to be open and. Yeah about everything about the loss of Harper with our struggle with infertility, because there's not a lot of stuff for guys about infertility. There's a resource after resource after resource for women, but but there's, there's no resources for guys. It's, it's, it's rough. Like, and and luckily I have, you know, people, guys that I know that have been through it, like yourself, and have been through loss and, and, and trying to conceive. And I have some friends at, at work who had, who had some same experiences, but like, I don't know why there's this stigma that men can't talk about infertility. I think it, I think there's a sense of that toxic masculinity that if you can't conceive a child naturally, you aren't a man. And it's like, no, I, I have genitals that say otherwise. Um, just because I'm having some issues, you know, conceiving doesn't make me any less of a man. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, and I think that. Yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think that that that, that stigma needs to really come down. Um, yeah. I think being emotional and being open and and talking about our feelings is so important. I think maybe might even be more important for men because we internalize and, and bottle it up so much that a lot of men have raging tempers because they don't let those feelings out. And then when they come to a fever pitch, they just explode. And that has, happens to me and, and I'm a person that tries to be more open, but I, it still happens and it, it's frustrating. Yeah, and I was about to say, it sounds, it sounds like something that you could be telling yourself right now. <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. Um, I think that, by the way, like this uh, hearing, first of all, that you're expecting, like, first of all, congratulations. Like that is extremely. Thank you. Thank you, guys. It's it's been it's been an adventure, to say the least. Yes. As as it usually is. Um, Most good things are worth fighting for. So, you know, you have to to keep fighting the fight. Um, And and I I think that this is actually this is a, a really good segue to kind of think about. How do you how do you rebound from these situations? How do you continue to work through? Uh, Jeff, you just gave some really good ideas, and this is a, a mission that I've kind of put forth on this show to to be vulnerable, to talk about emotions as a man, like to to not see that as being any less of a man, to to you know be a little vulnerable every once in a while. Um, some tears have been shed on this show, some, some, you know, and, and we've, we've talked about some really sensitive things just on this episode itself. Uh, you know, I think I want to hear and and Sam, I would be curious in hearing from you first. What do you tell those folks at home who are listening today who may have experienced something similar to what you've experienced, uh, in this really tumultuous journey that you've been on and, uh, what sort of words of wisdom would you give them? Well, um, if you are sitting at home and you've experienced this, um, it's going to suck. There's nothing, no way to sugarcoat it. It's going to suck. 
it's one of those things in life that you actually never get over. Um, it's kind of like a scar. Uh, your scar will never disappear, but over time it will kind of, you learn to live with it. Um, you will have your good days. Um, but in the beginning, you'll have very few of them. Your bad days will outweigh your good days. Um, but over time, you have more good days uh, than bad days. Uh, and then soon there will be a point where you have almost every day is a good day, but then it hits you like a ton of bricks out of nowhere. Um, so it it becomes... Uh, you learn, you know, to live with it. And people always tell us that, you know, we're strong for, I guess, still being alive. But for us, you know, there wasn't really an alternative because the alternative is, you know, curling up into a ball and, you know, not wanting to do anything. And that's not really an option that you have. Um, so you really do just learn to live with the the whole um and over time you know the other things happen in your life but that hole is always there um so yeah <laughs> um it does help when you have someone to talk with um it's uh it's a good time to really test out your communication skills as a as a committed couple um the other thing to keep in mind, though, is that both, you know, both people in the in the couple, you know, they, they might not grieve the same way. Um, mm -hmm. And there needs to be space to respect that because, um, you know, like I, the group that I mentioned earlier, like we have a mix of, you know, moms and dads um, and two moms and uh, where it's, it's sometimes the, it, it's different. Um, it's not who you expect to be the more emotional one sometimes. Um, and sometimes, you know, the way that people process, you know, sometimes, you know, they'll show up every month or you won't see them for six months and they'll have to show up, you know, once every six months. So, you know, the, the way you grieve in even within a, a committed couple uh, relationship, uh, each person will be different. So just uh, remember to keep that in mind um, that you may not be experiencing the same things that uh, your partner is experiencing. Um, and just be mindful of that and uh, keep that close to your heart because there may come a time where um, it'll come to a head and you'll be wondering why the other person isn't as sad as you are or why the other person is crying all the time when you're fine. Um, so just keep keep that in mind as uh, you navigate um, this in your life, if this is yeah. something that you're going through right now. That's a, that's a really good point. And, uh, you know, thinking back, Jeff, something that you mentioned, you had gotten a tattoo to kind of remember Harper and... Uh, I, am in the midst of getting a tattoo for the baby that we lost earlier this year. And, uh, I was in a consultation appointment with a tattoo artist because, uh, you know, it's something that you know, I have a couple tattoos and, 
Um, I have a tattoo for Aria. I said, why should anything be any different? So I was going to get a tattoo in commemoration of this uh, situation. And, uh, you know, what I failed to realize in, in that conversation with the tattoo artist, I was trying to figure out a time and Deanna was like, no, please don't get it. Like if we're going to try to get pregnant again, like I don't want to be looking at that the entire time. And I said, you know what? That's completely fair. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so it's, uh, you have to remember that, um, Jeff, what would you tell others who have perhaps been in your shoes? Sam actually gave me the best piece of advice for me, um, is don't let other people tell you how to grieve and showed me the circles of grief. Um, like I've had a hard time dealing with this with my family. Um, especially my mother, um, my mother had the audacity to ask me for ashes of my unborn sh- or of my child. Oh my God. What? Yeah. Oh. Uh, it has completely estranged my relationship with my mother. Cause she refuses to apologize to my wife. And that's, I've cut her off. Like I just, I'm, you know, I don't blame it sucks. you. I don't blame you. It's, it sucks. Like I, like I love my mother, but she had a hard time when we first started talking about how we were pregnant respecting boundaries and uh she continued to do that afterwards and i'm not gonna let her do that to this pregnancy um and that's tough because like i said my mother she gave birth to me like i'm sure she loves me and i'm but like it's tough like in you know my parents did not handle this well like my when i told my dad day that we you know we uh get, you know we had we got to see harper um that i was getting pictures he was like you don't need those i was like who 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 the f do you think you can tell me what i need to grieve yep like yes you're my father i love you you get yeah, you're part of the reason i'm here but that doesn't give you carte blanche to tell me how i can grieve um that's right and yeah it, it's it being respectful of how Holly's grieving and how I grieve and her respecting how I'm grieving. Cause I know she, at first she was very, she, she, I didn't handle it the way she did. And she didn't see me cry the way she was crying. And a lot of the times I cried by myself, like in my car or there's times I broke down at work, but I didn't do a lot of it at home. And she's like, I wish you would do that in front of me because it makes me feel like you actually care because I feel like you don't. And I had to realize, like I had to be more vocal with my feelings. So it's opening up to your partner and letting them know your feelings, even though it may hurt or you may not want to open up at that point. It's incredibly important to keep that line of communication. Um, And I think that's where, me and Holly have had a lot of issues is that communication doesn't ba- go f- back and forth. Cause we're trying to either protect each other or protect ourselves. And we don't open up and say, Hey, here's what I'm feeling right now. Yeah. Um, and that's what causes the, the friction. Like this is my first real big relationship. Like I've had, you know, relationships that lasted a couple months, uh, before Holly, but this is my first real long term, first time I've lived with a woman, and so for me, I'm in a lot of relationship training wheels where my wife was in a marriage for, you know, 10 years before had been in relationships prior. So for her, it's very frustrating to feel like she has to teach me 
how to be a partner. It's in some points. Um, and, and I don't blame her. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, that was the big thing. Like the, he, when he said that, he's like, don't let anybody else tell you how you can, how to grieve. Don't let anyone like that. That was the biggest thing. And it helped me a lot. Realize that like, as, as good intention as people are, they don't really know what you're going through and they're going to try to inject how they think you should react to it, but you need to react to it the way you need to react to it. Don't let anyone else tell you how to process stuff because in the end, you know, what's going to be the best for you. Therapy helped a lot. We were going to to counseling. Um, and that helped us be able to talk about the issues that we had with my family. Um, it, it's, it's, it, I can't stress enough how good it was to have someone who was a third party that was um, objective and could say, Hey, here's what I think is going on and what you need to do to move. Yeah. Um, it really helps. Yeah. Um, that, that right there, just leaning on your support system and being open to those reaching out to you, like you were open to Sam reaching out to you. I think that that's incredibly helpful. Uh, so, um, kudos to both of you on your tenacity. Um, you know, I, the, the roads that you guys are on, um, will result in just the greatest of blessings. And I'm, I'm a, I firmly believe that because I know both of you and you're both deserving of this. Um, and to tell you how great of a guy Sam is during Christmas, him and his wife, amazing human beings sent us a Christmas ornament that they got made that with Harper on it. And it like, this is the kind of like he is Sam, you're class act, man. Like you and Elaine are a godsend. And if, if you guys ever decide to do a nonprofit or do some, some kind of organization, where you help other people in these kind of situations, sign me in, sign Holly in. We will help. Like, no doubt that. Like, I think it's just you guys are the, are the best, and I I can't thank either one of you enough. And the next time we're up in the LA, I the, the dinner drinks are on us because uh, you all are seriously the best. All right, I'll uh, search for some uh, expensive restaurants then. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to the Palm, I guess. (laughs) No, I mean, honestly, like, I appreciate (laughs) that. um, But, I mean, more than that, like, just pay it forward is really all I ask. Um, I mean, a a steak at the Palm would be nice. But, yeah, we, we need to be that resource that doesn't exist um and it's funny like when you talked about how there's no resources for infertility for men um there's even less for uh uh, child loss uh you know there's tons of books that are you know easily like four or five hundred pages of for moms uh but for dads i ordered the one book that exists on amazon uh for this for dads and it came to us and it was basically like a little tiny like a tiny booklet, maybe like 20 pages. And all it was filled with was like practical things. Like how do you like plan a funeral service for a child or like, you know, what forms do you have to sign to get a death certificate? It was like ridiculous. I was like, 
what is this BS, man? It's like, it, it totally wasn't helpful. Um, but I guess, I mean, yeah, I don't even, I, I don't even want to say it's better than nothing. Cause it was kind of nothing, <laughs> but um, you know, I just want to point something out like this episode that we just recorded that we are still recording right now is, is a big reason why, you know, I think that it's important that we talk about this sort of stuff because this will live out on the internet now and more people will have access to this that, you know, could probably fill chapters of experience in a book rather than the very practical things, which are very tactical. This is way more philosophical and, and, and deep rooted, rooted, excuse me, to get to the problems um, that we face. And I think that you guys both, uh, exhibited exactly that being open, emotional and, and communicating how to communicate to your partner in a, in a somewhat stifled society that, that doesn't often embrace, uh, that, that role of a emotional man. So guys, I also want to ask, you know, what are some good websites, resources, or, or wherever that folks can get, um, some good information. Sam, we'll start with you. Yeah, um, actually, Elaine's part of the board of directors of this organization that uh, helps parents who are going through uh, pregnancy and infant loss. Uh, the website is www.nationalshare.org. That's nationalshare, all one word, dot org. Um, you, if you're going through this, uh, they have links to uh, local chapters in your area where you can... Uh, meet up with uh, parents who have also experienced a loss uh, much like yours. So uh, if you're looking for a group or someone to talk to uh, about your experience, uh, this is a great website to start. Great. Thank you, Sam. And how about you, Jeff? Do you have any resources that you'd recommend? Um, should you ever have to go through something, I would reach out to Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep. They're at nowilaymedowntosleep.org. Um, they, again, they provide... Um, professionally uh, made photographs for people who are going through uh, infant demise and they provide it free of charge. Uh, They are a class act. They are great. Um, We got, they told us it would be about two or three weeks before we would get the photos and we got them within 48 hours. Um, And we still look at them to this day. Mm -hmm. Um, they're very tasteful and well done and it gives you something to remember. And even though it's such an awful day, you want to be able to still have, you can say, Hey, this, this time with this person I loved and are still love. And, uh, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't want to not have those. So I, I've donated to them. They're a great organization. So, yeah, I just want to say, you know, kind of in, in final kudos to both of you. Uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart for being resources, uh, paying it forward to me when, you know, it it uh, it occurred with Deanna and me earlier. Um, and, you know, let, let's continue to, to be that voice. And, and I second Jeff's situation. If you ever start a nonprofit, shoot, I got a I got a podcast here that can uh, can, that can help support it, too. So. Uh, I want to say my thanks again to to both of the guests here on our Dad Chronicle Roundtable. Uh, we have Jeff Blau and Sam on. Um, thank you both for taking the time to share your stories today. I really do appreciate it. Sure, absolutely. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you. It, it was there was a 
cathartic feeling to it and it really felt good to be able to talk and get things out there and you know i i, I enjoy being on your podcast and i still need to be on joystick and mouse like i i don't <laughs> well in good time sam's always there in the live <laughs> chat anyway so sam's always a part of the show whenever we're doing I'm the it. peanut gallery in yeah. the uh, joystick and mouse show <laughs> yeah twitch.tv slash alex albisu um and for you folks at home who want to get more episodes of the dad chronicle you can do so by heading over to thedadchronicle.com. Um, all of our old episodes are there, so make sure you subscribe to your favorite podcatcher so you don't miss a single episode. And if you enjoyed what you listened to today, you can give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, everybody at home, for listening. If you'd like to chime in on the, the conversation that we had, please do so, thedadchroniclepodcast at gmail.com. Take care. If you like this show, Check out more great content at incastmedianetwork.com.